Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz and a slight tangent. World Cup B is growing on me. (laughs) (laughs) As a name. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Right, uh, as you were hearing there from Kenny Cunningham, it was a 2-0 victory for Newcastle against Manchester United. We had the game live on Off the Ball on Newstalk yesterday and it leaves Manchester United in a very interesting situation where obviously there's still cup glory to be won and there is still a place in the top four to be won. Daniel Harris joins us now to uh, reflect on the game yesterday and where they are generally. Uh, what did you make of the performance? What, what was what was behind it? Uh, I think it was the culmination of a few factors that we've seen kind of maturing over the last few weeks. United are the busiest team in world football. The players look like they're a bit tired now and they're not able to rotate in quite the same way as, as some of the teams about Manchester City in particular just because they don't have as many good players. Also, I mean, it's been the case over the season. I've been on here before saying when Casemiro doesn't play, they aren't good. And the main thing that I felt has been holding them back the last couple of years has been not having a proper player in Casemiro's position. So when he isn't there, the drop-off to the player who comes in to replace him is colossal. And that also makes a massive difference. But it also just looks like physically and mentally they're, they're spent a little bit. So they weren't able to produce the same level of intensity that Newcastle were. Obviously, it's difficult to recover that intensity now when over the next two months they have quarterfinals of the Europa League, semi-final of the FA Cup and all of the games in the Premier League that uh, are, are later this season than they would have been in previous years because of the World Cup. So is there a prospect of them finishing well outside the top four or are they going to be able to dig in? Because the, the fixture list is on paper relatively kind, but then you remember half these teams are fighting for relegation and so all of a sudden uh, aren't going to be rolling over the way that maybe in previous years at this time of the year, fixtures were a bit more of a gimme? Well, the, the, the record against teams that aren't that good is actually not bad at all. That like United's home record is excellent. The problem really has been away games against good teams and they don't have too many of those to come. I guess I don't think that they'll drop out of the top four, partly because I don't think the teams that they're competing with are good enough to put in the kind of run that it's going to take to overtake them. Um, I mean, it does mean that the game on Wednesday at home to Brentford feels like a really important game because if they can't rebound from a difficult game against Newcastle, then you could go to Newcastle, play well and still and still lose because Newcastle are a good team. So that that result is, the manner of it wasn't great, but it is pop, like you, you can sometimes lose those games. But if they're unable to get a result against Brentford at home, then you start to look like they really do have a problem. But... I can't, it doesn't look like Tottenham are going to put together the kind of run that will get them in fourth because even last season when they did it, they only really did it because of the incompetence of United and Arsenal as well. It wasn't a championship winning run that they put together. They won just about enough games to make it happen and it doesn't look like they're going to put anything together. Liverpool have been completely unreliable all season and they're quite a long way behind now. So there's no reason again to think that Liverpool are going to put it, just going to suddenly go and win every game between now and the end of the season. And it is going to take Liverpool winning almost every game. So I think they'll be okay for top four, but we can see that they're flagging. We've already mentioned the, the Luke Shaw quotes, Daniel, from uh, from uh, uh, yesterday at the top of the show, but uh, for anyone just tuning in, I think they won it on passion, desire, hunger and attitude. They're talking about Newcastle. They clearly had higher motivation than we had, and that can't be possible. It's not acceptable. I think Luke Shaw referenced himself, the fact that he seems to have to say the same thing every time United have a performance like this. But, but that line about Newcastle having higher motivation, I mean, it's, it's concerning, I think, for United fans to hear the likes of that. Um, I think that... 
we, as football supporters, we think if I played, I would just give 100% in every game. And it's easy to turn up and play with incredible intensity every time. And it isn't. The reason why the teams that win win, one of the reasons is because they have the players that are able to do that. And it isn't, it isn't easy to do that. And I guess coming off international break, I think one of the differences I thought was when Eddie Howe made that kind of quite strange victory speech in the dressing room that they decided to show on Sky yesterday, one of the things he said was we've had, this is a reward for the two weeks of hard work we've done. And for United, it wasn't like that because most United players were away uh, with it, with their countries. So Newcastle had had two weeks to prepare for that game because most of their players weren't away and United hadn't. And it felt like it showed that United, Newcastle were primed and ready to go and United had been travelling the world. And I think it does, obviously, you, you never want to hear a player saying, well, they, they tried harder than us. But I think we underestimate how hard it is to put in that requisite level of intensity every day. So it isn't, no, no, no one wants to see it, but I guess there is also a pattern of these players saying it every time they get beaten. There'll be that kind of hangdog, sullen face interview where they apologise and say that it wasn't good enough and we'll be working really hard to put it right next week. But on the whole, United have, they're quite a long way ahead, I think, of where I thought they'd be this season. They've won a trophy. They're in the running for two more and they're in the running for top four. So it does look like they're going in the right direction. And if you have a look at the team, so Mikel Arteta wanted a player in the summer, in, in, in the transfer window. He was going to get Madrid until he got outbid by Chelsea. Um, then, then he got Jorginho and Trossard. United got Val Weghorst so, uh, and uh, Zabitzer. So they weren't, they didn't back the manager in the way that the manager needed backing, which made some kind of sense in that if the players that you, that you want aren't available, then just take what you can get on loan. But they, they've sort of hit their ceiling. This is where they are as a team, I think, at the moment. They're probably, I think, the third best team in the league. They're good enough to be any team on a good day, but they can also produce some absolute nonsense. And the next level is raising the bottom level of the team, I think, which the next couple of the players will, will, will help do. They've got a centre forward that's better than Valt Venkhorst, for example, I think you'll see a very significant improvement in that team. And not. And I mentioned earlier they were missing Casemiro, but they're also missing Christian Eriksen, who gives them some kind of midfield composure and control. And then you're down to Zabitzer, who's hardly played for United, and Scott McTominay, who aren't as good as the players that they've replaced. Well, Valt Venkhorst, is that experiment finished now? Anthony Martial replacing him after an hour. He's clearly a better footballer than Valt Venkhorst. Uh... Is the whole thing finished now? Is, that, is, that, is this the last we'll see, essentially, of Ed Vegorst in, in this United team? Uh, never underestimate Anthony Martial's ability to do something that means he can't play for United. So, I mean, I, I hope so, because even when Martial came on, there was just a few moments where you could see the difference. Mm. Where there, I think there was a count, United get the ball in their own half, and Martial carries it forwards, and all of a sudden you've got an attack. And I generally, like, he's better, I would say, at almost everything than Vegorst, apart probably maybe Vegorst is better at pressing, but... There's no reason why Martial shouldn't be good at pressing because he's faster. Um, so he should be able to press if he does what he's told. So if Martial is fit and can stay fit to the rest of the season, that will make a colossal difference. I mean, no one ever wants to be the person that's held, that says Anthony Martial will bring freshness and energy to any kind of football team. But a fit Anthony Martial is a really good player. So hopefully that will that will give United the opportunity to someone to play off because Veghorst... He, he doesn't hold the ball up that well. He's not that good in the air for someone of that height either. But Martial looks a lot like what Ten Hag's idea of a centre-forward looks like. 
in that he's got some pace, he can come off and hold it up, he can finish, he can run with the ball. The question with Martial is, can he find the intensity that you need to bring it every game, every game, every game? And can he stay fit? And if he is able to stay fit, then there isn't that long to go. And he also really is playing for his future at United because United are going to sign a striker in the summer. And he's vulnerable because they need to generate money and they're going to sign someone to go in front of him. So there's a challenge for him there. And he either meets that challenge or he doesn't. But even his sort of 60% of Anthony Martial is probably a better player than 100% of Valvegos. One of the reasons why they didn't back the manager in the last transfer window was because they'd obviously spent all of their money in the summer. Um, we talked a bit about uh, so Casemiro, obviously, I think everybody would agree he's been a good signing. Martinez, I think you, you would largely say he's been a, a good signing as well. The amount of money that they spent on, on Anthony, um, I mean, they might have been able to spend, if they hadn't signed him, they would have been able to buy Trossard, for example, or somebody like that uh, at um, in the January window. So there is a... While the money doesn't really matter, it does matter in terms of them not having available funds. Uh, no, no transfer system is 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 flawless. For a period of time, Liverpool's was perfect, and then that fell away. And you can see how important the the quality of recruitment is. So, uh, what needs to happen next when it comes to recruitment? Does Ten Hag need more people helping him to make decisions so that uh, they don't overpay for players and that they're a bit more sensible about? whatever the budget is in the summer? Uh, I don't think so. I, I mean, he went for players that he knew, which does make does ring some alarm bells. But at the same time, because United were where they were, it felt like the players that Tenach knew were probably the best players that they could get because they wanted not just to come to United for United, they wanted to come and be managed by him. And it was just his personal pull as well as the pull of United. But... I think with Anthony, I thought Anthony played quite well yesterday and they didn't get him enough of the ball because he had the beating of Dan Byrne. And I was surprised when he got taken off when he did. Um, Ten Hag knows Anthony well. And so we either think that he understands more about what Anthony's ceiling is than we do or not. I mean, it doesn't mean he can't make mistakes, but he obviously feels that Anthony has what it takes to succeed at United. And I I quite like what I've seen of Anthony. He hasn't, he hasn't torn it up, but he scored some important goals. Coming to a new league, having not really had a preseason, moving countries and having an injury in a World Cup in the middle of it. Sure, but the, he, I, I suppose my point is that there is a cost in overpaying that, uh, like, in the long run, the transfer doesn't matter. The transfer fee doesn't matter to a club of Manchester United size, except uh, in January you leave yourself short because you've spent all your money. Um, I don't, right, but let's say, let's say they bought a different player to Anthony, let's say for £50 million, pounds, would the right player that they wanted, whether the midfield player or the striker, been available for the difference between what they could have spent on somebody different and what they got for Anthony? I think one of the things I've learned watching football is that you should buy the players that you want. You do sometimes end up buying a player that you didn't want and it works really well. I mean, Arsenal Trossard wasn't Arsenal's first choice, but Madrid went to Chelsea, so they bought him and it seems to be working well currently. But Arsenal's in, Arsenal in a different position. Arsenal are looking for a finishing touch. They're looking for a rotation player of someone to just give them that push to get over the line right now. United are looking to build a team that's going to be good next season, the season after, whereas Arsenal sort of already had that. So I don't think that the money, that that, that difference between what they could have paid and what they did pay and what they couldn't then spend in the, in, in the winter made a particularly significant difference. Because one thing I've learned is that any footballer, any transfer that works is worth every penny. You're lucky enough to pay for it because lots of transfers don't work. So I don't think that I don't think that overpaying for Anthony, and I, I mean, we all agreed that they did overpay for Anthony, 
But I don't think that overpaying for Anthony massively cost them because it wouldn't have meant that the player that they wanted in this last winter window would necessarily have been available for the difference between what they spent and what they could have spent. I suppose we'll never know. We we don't have access to the the list of players. I it just it it. I don't think it's fair to say that the club didn't back the manager to sign players. I didn't say that in in winter when uh, clearly they spent all the money in the summer, and um, that's why they ended up with Veghorst and Sabitzer, though. Uh, so no, but the market but that you're spent- shopping in when you don't have any money is different from the market you shop in when you do have money. Yeah, of course. But the reason why they didn't they didn't back him isn't because they spent all the money. I mean, whose money is it? They spent all the money that the Glazers were prepared to allow United to have rather than spend it paying off their debts and paying off their dividends. It's not, it's not that the United have, it's not that Ten Hag has spent everything that's in, that's in the bank. It's that what they're allowing him to spend. Is yeah, different. the budget, but everybody has and a budget. Like even Chelsea had a budget at some point. Did, right, but look how much, look, look what Chelsea did. They just went and spent what they, I mean, not, they didn't necessarily spend it wisely. But they spend they spend the money that they need. When City buy a player and the player doesn't work, they just cycle through another. How many centre backs and full backs and goalkeepers Pep Guardiola buy? Because there isn't really a budget. I mean, of course you can't just go and buy every player in the world, but ultimately they are spending whatever's necessary. And I think one of the reasons United also couldn't spend in the winter was because why would the, the Glazers looking like they're gonna sell, why would they want to go and spend more money at this point when they're looking to sell the club? So I don't I don't think I w- I'm not blaming Ten Hag for the fact that there wasn't money available for him to spend. That is, that's what the Glazers do. They'll allow some money, but it has felt like all the way through with the Glazers, you're always chasing. They're all, even even with even this is the case even under Fergie. If you think that what United bought Owen Hargreaves in the summer of 2007, they didn't buy a midfield player until Nick Powell arrived in the summer of 2012. That's not because Fergie doesn't like midfield players. It's because there's always there's there's, there's stringent budget controls, and the Glazers are in, aren't interested in winning as much as they're interested in dividends and debt repayments. So I don't. The I didn't lose yesterday necessarily because of the Glazers. But if we're talking about transfer strategy, United's transfer strategy is dominated and determined by what the Glazers want to do with United's money and how much of it they want to take. At that okay, but at juncture. the same time, that 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 does absolve Ten Hag of any responsibility for spending. 95 million on Anthony when the market was probably less than that but they found themselves in such a situation where they'd obsessed about it they'd publicly linked themselves with him to the point where it was Anthony or bust and you know you can't say that Anthony's been uh, an, a massive success and I guess what I'm saying is that if if uh, Ten Hag makes m- similar signings in the future where they're not an immediate success the, the period at which it's going to uh, take Manchester United to be proper title contenders is going to be extended. Um, right, but if you let's look at the players he bought. He bought Tyrone Malassia, 15 million quid. It's been, it's been good. He bought Martinez, who's been brilliant. He bought Casemiro, who's been brilliant. And he's bought Anthony, who I think is good. I, I, and Anthony wasn't bought just for this season. So the, it's pointless saying, well, in the eight months that he's played for United, the 30 games or whatever it is he's played for United, he scored, what, eight goals or something? Five assists? That's not bad. I don't think that, do, you, do you think those are bad numbers? He scored against Arsenal, scored an important goal against Everton, he scored the goal against Barcelona, he scored against Betis. So he's, he's, he, hasn't been, he hasn't destroyed the league. But he's 23, 24. I think he's just turned, he just turned 24. If you look at other good players, what was Sadio Mane doing at that age? What was Mohamed Salah doing at that age? He's at the right age to improve quickly as the team improves around him. He'll also look a lot better if he can get a good right back. If he had a right back of Luke Shaw's quality on his side, 
you would also look a lot better. I don't look at Anthony and think, why did why did you spend this money on this player? I look at him and I see a good player with potential. And, and I also see a manager who signed three other excellent players. So I don't feel that I'm mistrusted of him because he want, because he decided that Anthony was the right winger that he had to have. So they overspent by 20 million pounds on him because ultimately those, those are numbers. The player's either good or he isn't. Sure. And that, that they, million, they are numbers with saying it. that 20 million quid, that 20 million quid is not the difference between where United are now and United being very but, much better off than they are. It could have, they could have signed a right back for that though. That, that's the point. There's an opportunity who, cost when you who, overpay and Manchester United are still paying a, a tax and that, that tax is a, a, a cost you would argue, I would argue from, the mismanagement of, of the previous decade. But we're getting stuck on, on Anthony. What about the rest of the, the next four or five weeks? You, you talked about the squad not being strong enough to have the same rotation as Manchester City. They're obviously going to need to rest players. Casemiro has automatically uh, been rested for the last few weeks. Is the hope that... And the rest. He's had half the winter off, that guy. <laughs> is, is the hope then that like it's going to be him versus the rest of the Premier League for the rest of the season and that might just be enough because he's that good? Um, well, he got hit. it's not just that he's that good. It's just the balance that he gives the team, having someone in that position that the team has lacked for so long. And it, it just makes it, 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 the fact that it's him is obviously very helpful. But if it was someone else as well, it would also make a difference because just someone who knows how to play that position helps you dictate the game. And if you suddenly have Varane, Martinez, Casemiro, that little triangle, that gives you a good opportunity to be strong in the middle of the pitch. So forcing your opponents wide when they attack and helping you dominate the middle of the pitch. Christian Eriksen's on the way back, um, as Anthony Martial's coming back, and all of a sudden, you've got a spine that enables the rest of the team to function. Bruno Fernandes obviously massively overplayed. He's the busiest, I saw a statistic yesterday, but he's the busiest player in world football. I'm surprised he hasn't had a little bit more time off. It's probably at the point now where he's not getting any, but they start to, once you have those Casemiro and Eriksen back, it gives you just a bit more variety and control in the midfield, because... That those are your those are your playmakers. Casemiro also scores goals. United haven't had that over the last couple of games, and they've got to somehow get through the next two games without Casemiro. By which point, Eriksen probably be quite close to coming back as well. So I would be surprised if United managed to botch the top four from here. The cup competitions, who knows? Brighton's a really hard game anyway, and you can lose a one-off game to anyone. And um, they are probably the best team left in the Europa League. They could win that. They should beat Sevilla. Sevilla aren't very good. Just fired their manager. Um, but again, well, that, transfers the, that transforms the season if they manage to win that, because obviously uh, everything that it brings with it is going to be the perfect end to the year. Um, I, I do just need to ask you about Max Rashford before we wrap up here. Um, his form was so amazing that it was carrying the team along for a period of time in terms of the goals that he was scoring in uh, in narrow victories. Um, and as it's come off a slight bit over the last couple of weeks, the team have been largely unable to score. So for as as goes Casemiro, as goes United, but equally as goes Rashford. Are you any concerns about him? Um, I think part of it is the absence of Casemiro and Eriksen means that he's getting less good possession. That if all of a sudden your midfield's Fred, McTominay, Zabitzer or whoever, you're not, you're not going to be able to dominate the ball in the same way. So I don't think I'm particularly worried about Rashford in that no one is, he's not Ronaldo. He's, a, he's an excellent player, but he's not going to score in all the games. You have to be, you have to be ready for him to go a few games without goal. And United are now three league games without goal. But once, once the, once he starts getting a bit more service from midfield, then I think we'll see that he's able to start scoring again. But he was, he was poor yesterday. Is he world class? Is, is he world class, Daniel? We had that discussion on the show last week. Is Marcus Rashford world class? Uh, 
I, I mean, we're going to need to define our terms here. Are we yeah. saying world class is what? If there was a team or if there was a squad of players to take on the Martians, the players that play in that squad are world class, or are we saying the best five players in the world are world class? What do we What do we mean by that? Like, that? I'm probably thinking. If you're the best top ten in a position in the world, then you're world class. But I guess top everyone 10, has their own. That's a lot of world class lads. I was, I was on twenty yeah. last week. I've rolled back. So there's 110 world class players in the world. That's, that sounds like a lot. But um, I would say if we're saying top ten, then yeah, I think I think he's in the top ten. But we need to see more of it because he's been brilliant for seven months or eight months or whatever. But for me to say, well, you're one, you're one of the best players in the world, you need to do it over a stretch rather yeah. than you're someone who's been That's one of the point. best players in the world for the last four weeks or whatever. Yeah, all right. We've got to leave it there, Daniel. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Yeah. Right. Good day, everyone. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.